Ah, mon Afrique, réveille-toi. Il est midi. Tu dors encore. Réveille-toi. N'écoute pas Babylone. Il t'a fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas Afrique. Afrique Ananga Oya, bats-toi cheveux crepus. Bats-toi Mayele Bosimba Niba Bigé. Oya Bilanga Bosimba Niba Congo. Simba Niba Boko Mouna Lekate. Afrika Malobate. Mon Salande. Africa, Mobali Mingao, Africa, Hatona Mosolo, Africa. Tu gâtes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, les gros ont souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Les gros ont combattu pour arriver en black en black, devenu le stade de la guerre. Ta raison, la tricherie, ta seule arme, tu cries la démocratie pour ton profit personnel, toi, Africa. Tu règnes par la justice, la course au pouvoir, toujours des Welcome to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people in America. I'm your host, Patricia Lokwa, joining me with Kambale Musavuli on the phone. How are you doing, Kambale? I'm doing well, uh, joining from uh, Chicago today. Um, the weather is uh, still interesting here. We actually had snow this morning in Chicago, and it's April here. Snow? <laughs> We're just getting through snow. I know... Um, I'm just excited to be back on the show. We took a small break and we want to say happy Easter to all our listeners out there because we had a rerun last week. So we want to encourage you guys to continue listening because we are back on the show and to focus a little bit more about what our show is going to be on today. We're going to be talking about the Marshall Plan, the European Recovery Program known as the Marshall Plan, helped in rebuilding Europe after World War II. Then the U.S. provided $13 billion in economic support to help rebuild the Western European economies. In today's dollars, that's equivalent to approximately $130 billion. Dr. Noel Chiani, our guest today, has formulated a similar plan for the Congo, which he presented in an essay on Time magazine. Dr. Chiani will be joining us a little later during the show, and we encourage our listeners who want to participate in this conversation to call 410-481-1010 later on on the show. But first, let's hear from Kambali, the current situation in the Congo. Yes, uh, Patricia. Um, first, want to lift up the name of Jean-Marie Kalonji. Uh, Jean-Marie Kalonji is the youth coordinator of the organization The Fourth Voice, in Kinshasa, he is still being detained by the Congolese Intelligence Agency. Uh, he was arrested on December 15, 2015, uh, late uh, last year, and uh, he is being detained without charges. He was organizing young Congolese in the Congo to know more about their civic responsibilities and engage them in the electoral process. The UN Security Council voted to extend the stay of the UN peacekeeping troops in the Congo for another year. 
Uh, this was done contrary to the wish of the Kabila regime, who lobbied the UN to withdraw thousands of its peacekeepers. Uh, the UN also called on the Kabila regime to hold elections within the time required by, the, by Congo's constitutions. The United Nations has also opened an investigation into sexual abuse on the part of its troops in the Congo. Uh, this is after UN troops in the Central African Republic have been found committing sexual violence. Uh, the African International Bank in the Congo, uh, BIAC in French, the third largest bank of the Congo, has run into uh, financial difficulties due in part to corruption. Uh, account holders have formed long lines to retrieve the deposits. However, the bank has limited withdrawal to 4,500 francs per day. Uh, the bank has assigned a new head in an attempt to restore confidence in the bank and hopefully uh, stave off its failure. The group of seven, G7 uh, coalition, who are made up of former members of the Kabila regime's majority coalition, have called on Moïse Katumbi to be its representative to run for president of the DRC. Moïse Katumbi acknowledged the appeal and said he will respond in coming days. The Independent Electoral Commission, CENI, held the long overdue elections in which Kabila's majority coalition won the overwhelming majority of the 21 races after Seni had invalidated numerous opposition. To put some context in it, uh, Congo um, has uh, now uh, 26 provinces, and we needed to elect new uh, head of those provinces um, for these seats. Uh, the opposition did not give the election much credence as they felt that this election were fixed from the outset. Uh, finally, uh, it's sad news, unfortunately. On March 21st, 2016, at around 1 a.m., uh, a Congolese priest and founder of the investigative website Benilubero.com was brutally assassinated by soldiers of the Congolese army, witness said. His name was uh, Father Vincent Machosi. Uh, he had just posted on his website uh, less than 24 hours before his death uh, information incriminating the Congolese and Rwandan government in the killings in the Congo. Uh, Congo Live would like to extend our condolences to his families and friends. May his soul rest in peace. Camboyo jouait sur les pirogues De l'autre côté Dimitri faisait du roller à Prague Tous les deux Ils ont été touchés par l'aventure Comme toi J'aurais un mot simplement à te dire Si tu pars, n'oublie pas la terre où ton cœur a vu le jour Zanzibar ou mon repas Faudra jamais que tu oublies l'amour Si tu pars, n'oublie pas La terre où ton cœur a vu le jour Zanzibar ou mon repas Faudra jamais que tu oublies l'amour 
La beauté des hommes et leur douleur L'important C'est de pouvoir toujours garder ta chaleur Bien de fois Tu auras la visite du blues un soir Mais tu vois La vie a ses beaux jours et ses déboires Si tu pars, n'oublie pas la terre où ton cœur a vu le jour Sans y voir ou mon repas Faudra jamais que tu oublies l'amour Si tu pars, n'oublie pas La terre où ton cœur a vu le jour Sans y voir ou Kinshasaï Faudra jamais que tu oublies l'amour Si tu pars Faudra jamais que tu oublies l'amour Welcome back to Congo Live. That was Si Tu Par by Congolese international superstar Lokwa Kanza, an artist that we play regularly on the Congo Live show and actually one of my favorites. Uh, it could be because he also has my name uh, or I have his name. Uh, in this song, Lokwa Kanza shares that when one leaves his or her own country of birth to never forget their roots. This is why we do Congo Live, to never forget our roots and to remind our listeners that we're proud of who we are. This brings us back to our guest, who has not forgotten his roots, the Democratic Republic of Congo. He actually wrote an article on the time titled, How to Reform the Democratic Republic of Congo. In the article, our guest today argues that Congo needs a Marshall Plan similar to the one post-World War II in Europe. He adds that this should be funded in a period of 15 years and will cost about $800 billion funded by the Congo international aid and direct foreign investment. So, Kambali, if you can share a little bit with us about the guest today. Yes, as you know, Patricia, I have a passion for Congo and dream about uh, the day that Congo will rise like a phoenix. So when I read uh, Dr. Chani's article, How to Reform the Democratic Republic of Congo, it struck a chord with me. Uh, today, we are lucky to have him as a guest of Congo Live. Uh, Dr. Noel Chani, Mwadiam uh, Vita, he is a World Bank professional staff for the last 24 years. Uh, prior to this position, he worked as a senior task team leader and served as the World Bank residing representative in Africa. He has played a leading role in the design and implementation of the development strategies for several countries in Africa, Eastern Europe, and Central Asia. As a World Bank expert, Dr. Chani co-chaired in 1997 the Monetary Reform Committee that designed the Congolese franc, something that many Congolese actually do not know. And I'm uh, 
pleased that I hope we will be discussing that also during the show, uh, what took place during that process. He has published several articles, including uh, the one that we mentioned earlier, How to Reform the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, lastly, Dr. Chani is the founder of and president of the movement uh, called Mouvement pour le Changement, a nonpartisan platform that includes political parties, NGOs, private and public sector companies, professional and trade associations, all in um, the attempt to um, organize and mobilize for peaceful and democratic change in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Dr. Chani, welcome. Thank you. Well, it's glad to have you in the studio. Um, it's always an honor to have our guests in the studio. And uh, as Kambale has shared, uh, you, you have quite an extensive uh, resume. He didn't even have the chance to really read all of it. Uh, but for our listeners who do want to read more, they can always go on Congo Live and uh, on Facebook and read more. Um, let's start. We always try to do our shows to talk a little bit about, you know, where were you born? Let's start from there. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, I would like to thank you for welcoming me here in Congo order. Live. <laughs> and uh, it's a pleasure to uh, talk to your uh, audience. Uh, as you said, I was born in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, mm-hmm. and not even Kinshasa, but I was born in Ganajika, which is uh, a community in the eastern Kasai province. Okay. I was there. I went to school elementary and uh, high school there mm-hmm. in Ganajika, and I'm got out of there only w- uh, once I finished the high school. So a lot of people, like, you know, I'm looking at your, your resume, it's saying you're a doctor. So you come from this small region in the Kasai region. Like, how do you go from coming from such a small area all the way to getting your doctor doctrine degree? You know, is that something that was provided for you during this time, or is it something that your family helped you in the process? Well, uh, when I was a little boy, first of all, I did not know that I was going to become a doctor. So I was just going to school like any other kid. Uh, it was uh, just for fun. But my parents knew best uh, what they wanted me to become. Mm-hmm. So they insisted that I have to attend school. Mm-hmm. While many kids of my age uh, left the school to go, for example, and then dig diamond. You know that Kasai mm-hmm. province is rich in uh, natural resources, particularly diamond. And many kids of my uh, age uh, were very much interested in going and then dig diamond, become rich very mm-hmm. early in their lives. Uh, personally, my parents made sure that you no, know, I stay at school, I attend school, and I finish my uh, uh, high school uh, in a school which is very, very prestigious in Kasai at the time, which was called Colay Saint George. Mm-hmm. It was a missionary school held by the Belgian priests. Mm-hmm. So once I finished there, since I cut out of the school with a very high mark, uh, it was almost the highest mark uh, in my uh, examination center there. Uh, I had the opportunity to get a scholarship from the Congolese government mm. uh, to go to school overseas. So the Congolese government uh, is the one that paid uh, for my tuition, for board, for every all the expenses that uh, I had to incur while uh, attending school. So I initially was in school in uh, uh, Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there until I finished my master's degree in economics at University of Liège. Uh, left there to go to school in France. I was in, at the uh, Université de Grenoble uh, doing what is called in France Diplôme d'études supérieures spécialisées, which is a kind of a graduate degree. Mm. And uh, finished there and then went to Paris to do a business school, uh, Institut supérieur de gestion. From there, I had to come to America 
uh, to do my MBA in New York. I attend a specialized school in New York, which is called Adelphi University, which is very specialized in banking and finance. Uh, once I finish, uh, I did uh, uh, get a job with the U.S. Commercial Bank. Initially, it was Citibank, mm -hmm. and Citibank was kind enough to send me uh, on a training program. Uh, and the training program was held in Athens, Greece. Uh, after nine months of training, uh, I was posted in Paris for a short period of time until I left the Citibank to come back to uh, America. And then got another job in New York at the smaller bank, which was the Republic National Bank of New York. Um, from there, I went hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, which is one of the biggest banks in uh, in mm -hmm. the world. Uh, after spending 10 years of commercial banking, uh, while I was working for commercial banking, I started also doing my PhD, my doctorate at Université de Paris Neuf Dauphine. So at the time, I did not have the scholarship anymore from the Congolese government, but mm -hmm. I was working already. Mm -hmm. So I could use uh, income earned from my job to pay for my tuition. And uh, I completed my PhD, which was uh, focusing on central banking and financial sector development and monetary policy. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, uh, I joined the World Bank 25 years ago, and I'm still at the World Bank today. So, Mr. Uh, Dr. Chani, um, you said something that was quite interesting to me uh, just now, uh, that you received scholarship from the Congolese government. And I will assume at the time you received it, Congo was called Zaire. So the Zaire government um, was providing scholarship at the time of your uh, uh, secondary studies? Yes, indeed. No, the scholarship was not uh, the secondary studies. It was when I completed the secondary school to mm. go to college. That's when I got the scholarship. But when okay. I was going to secondary school, even at the time, uh, most of the education was free. It was free. It was free but because I was now. going uh, in Collège Saint-Georges. Uh, uh, it was a public school, but public-private in the sense that it was run by Belgian missionaries. Mm -hmm. So if there was anything to be paid, the parent could contribute very little, but most of the school was free. Mm -hmm. So I am a product of free education. So uh, elementary yeah. school was free. High school was very much free. And when I went to college... I got a scholarship from the government, which was covering most of my educational needs. Mm -hmm. So I'm a product of uh, free education, and that's why I'm very sensitive to this. And you will see that even in my Marshall Plan, when mm -hmm. I'm talking about, I'm insisting on investing in children uh, by putting enough money uh, uh, to fund the, the, the education to make sure that everybody has at least the basic so that they can become included in the society. I see. And the, the other things that kind of uh, touched me was the fact that uh, you were born in uh, some of the remote areas in, of the Congo, um, and you had a family. Um, can you share with our listeners how was that experience uh, around that time? What, what were the opportunities, for example, that the women in uh, Gandajika in, in the areas had? What, did they have access to resources for business who, to become entrepreneur? Uh, what's the reality today uh, in that area compared to when you were growing up? Well, uh, Ngadnajika then and today, things have not changed because I was there almost uh, three years ago and I was surprised to find that uh, most of the things that I knew when I was a little boy are still there the same way. And uh, if anything, things have gotten worse. Um, but I will explain. Uh, Ngadnajika is a rural area. So most of the people, they live based on farming. They do have their own farms. 
and uh, they cultivate uh, you know, cassava, corn, beans, stuff like that. So it is a very rural area. And I can even say that when I was a little boy, the there were only maybe two or three companies in Gandanjika. There was a company which was uh, buying uh, cotton uh, from the farmers, uh, which was well, the Kotongo. And there was, there was also a, um, a research, agricultural research center called the INERA, uh, which was employing people there. And beside that, uh, I believe that most of the people, they were, if they do uh, business, they were just uh, traders going to Kinshasa, buying stuff, coming to sell them in Gandanjika back and forth and opportunities for women were very limited uh we did not have banks there was one which was called a branch of uh, what they call kadeko the case de pan du congo i believe which was like a saving institution but that's it so there were not many many opportunities but people learned how to survive themselves uh by uh you no know, owning farms by uh, doing small businesses but the small business consisting of going to Mbujmai, buying stuff, coming to sell them in Ganajika. But uh, since many people own their own farms, no, uh, during, the, uh, during the year they cultivate, they use uh, maybe borrowing tractors from those who own them to cultivate uh, uh, corn and cassava and beans. And then uh, once they can uh, collect the agricultural product, they will just manage to go and sell them to Mbujmai or to the surrounding uh, cities. But that's basically life. But women did not have that many opportunities except not working in families and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, after the break, we'll delve into more uh, from the Marshall Plan. Uh, but one of the last questions for this section I would like to ask is around uh, your time in, in the U.S. You know, you've gotten free education, you went to Europe, uh, you, you studied there, and then you end up in the United States uh, working for one of the major banks in the world, um, J.P. Uh, Morgan Chase. Um, how how was that? You know, a son of the Congo ending up in New York, uh, in one of the largest bank uh, in the world. How was that experience? Were there things that you saw was uh, working, was not working? Are things that you would like to bring to the Congo from where you were? Yes. Well, uh, you see, I did not go directly from Ganajika to New York. I think that if I did that, it will be a brutal change. <laughs> so I went very uh, progressively. I went from Ganajika to Mbujimai, from Mbujimai to Kinshasa, from Kinshasa. When I landed in Belgium, uh, Liège, it was a very much developed city, but not as uh, comparable to New York. So I went progressively. So by the time I uh, reached New York, uh, I can say that no, uh, I had learned quite a bit how different Africa was from America, how different Africa was from Europe. So I did not feel it, and I was still in the learning mood, at the mm. learning stage. So I could just notice that, that the societies were different, uh, but help, uh, helped by the schools, I think that my integration was quite very uh, reasonable. So I did not get the shock. I realized that New York was full of those tall buildings <laughs> and the mentality was different. And uh, no, uh, people work very, very hard, very fast and uh, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think that as a young man, you tend much more to insert yourself into this dynamic than to be shocked and then be afraid. Um, you know, I'm listening to you talk about different parts of your life and the different transitions. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk about the Marshall Plan, but at what point when you were working for these different organizations, you see the product of their work, you see how they're helping other countries, and you being a Congolese, knowing the reality of what's going on in the Congo, 
What led you to say, you know what, it's time for me to to write this Marshall Plan. It's necessary. And it's time for me as a Congolese to do something for my country versus to continue to work for other countries in these organizations. What led to that? Yes. Uh, first of all, as far as my professional experience is concerned, I think I would like to mention a few things. <clears throat> when I was working for U.S. commercial banks in New York, uh, particularly at J.P. Morgan Chase, I was a lending officer. As a lending officer, I managed the relationship between my bank, mm-hmm. uh, J.P. Morgan, and some of the client, meaning correspondent banks, central banks, commercial banks, and also corporate entities in many areas of the world. I covered not only African countries, many of them, but also I worked on Latin America and the Caribbean. So mm-hmm. I traveled to many, many different countries. Uh, every time that I went to those countries, particularly, for example, to the Caribbean countries, I realized that, no, those are black countries, like mm-hmm. African countries. But sometimes they were much more advanced than my own country. So a country like Barbados, when you go there, you see the transportation system is neat. Uh, when you see banks, they are very well organized. Uh, people are not staying in line like no, what we know in the Congo. Uh, when we you 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 find uh, corporations, they are functioning relatively much better than in uh, in my own uh, homeland. So that experience was slowly, slowly um, kind of uh, hitting home. In my heart, I start questioning myself: what can be done so that my country can do as much or as well as those countries? But the days I joined the World Bank, I start working at the World Bank. I was given the responsibility of some helping some countries. And there are two or three countries which really um, kind of uh, uh, taught me uh, that when a country is very well managed, it can achieve uh, many more uh, results than uh, a country which could be rich in natural resources, but which is poorly managed. I will give a few examples. The Cape Verde Island. When I arrived in the Cape Verde Island for the first time, this is a very small country in West Africa, about five, six hundred people. A thousand people only. And when I come to the Cape Verde Island, something which shocked me the most is to note that that country did not have that m- much natural resources. Uh, all they had was, uh, you could see just uh, sand, and the sand, beside the sand, you will see water, and that water is from, from the ocean, mm-hmm. but it is salted water. You can't even use it, you can't even drink it. But when you go, despite the poverty, I don't say that this is a, a developed country, but despite the poverty, I come to realize that the government was very much responsible. They had a very good development strategy, and the strategy was what consisted of creating a good environment in Cape Verde to attract investment, and they were able to attract businesses coming from Europe, coming from Asia, that came to Cape Verde to set up activities there, knowing that they don't have raw materials in the country, they will import those raw materials from overseas and then transform them into semi-finished or finished good in Cape Verde, mm. not for the local market, which is very small, but for export towards uh, other African countries or even towards um, uh, Europe and uh, some uh, some of the products exported to the United States. So what are the products that we're pre- creating in Cape Verde, fabricating in Cape Verde? Textile. You will find that the, some of the clothes that we use, you will find on them on those clothes, it is written, um, how do you say, Ralph Lauren mm-hmm. or Pierre Cardin, things like that. They are Pierre Cardin, Ralph Lauren, Lauren made in Cape Verde. Even mm-hmm. some shoes, uh, uh, brand names exported from Cape Verde. So I come to realize that you know, the policy of the government, which was to import 
um, uh, or to create a good environment to attract uh, uh, prime, uh, f foreign investment so that they can create jobs in Cape Verde, that policy was working very well. So I saw Cape Verde going from per capita income of about $170 to today $4,500. $4,500. When you compare it to my country, which is rich in natural resources, and we have a per capita income today of $394, I can say that Cape Verde is a success story as compared to the Congo. Comparing to the Congo is what we want to take a short break because we're going to talk about your Marshall Plan and what you see the future of Congo like in accordance to this Marshall Plan. Let's take a short break. Le cœur qui bat, je perds la tête Plein de cauchemars envahissent ma tête Je vis la nuit et dors le jour, moté ma passier Ma inami saute en boutou, pourquoi Ma passé si la tête, kuna namboka Ma na kongo, babele limoka Mignon que si la tête, kuna nagoma Oya, la mouka And 
Welcome back to Congo Live. We want to remind our listeners who want to participate in this conversation to call 410-481-1010. Again, that's 410-481-1010. And you were just listening to Kuna Nangoma, Nagoma by Pierre Quinders featuring Congolese rapper Baloji. Pierre Quinders in the stage is a stage name and Jose Luis Modabi, a Congolese Canadian musician. Quinders, who sings and raps in English, French, Lingala, and Chiluba, is noted for blending both African music and Western pop music influences, including hip-hop and electronic music, into his style. In this song, Pierre is encouraging us to stand in solidarity with the Congolese as they rebuild their country. And welcome back to the show. And Kambali, are you still with us? Well, I've been reading the article how uh, to reform the Democratic Republic of Congo during the break. Um, and I have to be honest to Dr. Chani, I love your article. Thank you. I, it's quite inspiring. Um, but there are some <laughs> pertinent questions around that plan because when I read it, I say, oh, this is great. We can implement that. Mm-hmm. But who is going to give Congo $800 billion? That's the main question before I follow up with the next one. That's an excellent question. As a matter of fact, everywhere I presented this Marshall Plan for the Congo, people have raised the same issue. And let me say that Congo is a very rich country to begin with. Uh, I just want to mention to your listeners a few of the things that Congo has which could be used as the basis for development, and I will respond to the question as far as where the financing will be coming from. Uh, Congo uh, has 1,100 different raw material and precious metals, uh, uh, different mineral and precious metals, and uh, those 1,100 different minerals are worth $24 trillion. I want to put an emphasis on this. $24 trillion, that's equivalent to the GDP of the United States of America plus the GDP of Western Europe, of the European Union. So this is a very rich, potentially rich country. That's one thing. The second thing, Congo uh, has a hydroelectric uh, potential of 1,000, uh, no, 100,000 megawatt of electricity. And everybody has heard about the Inga, Inga potential. So, which means that if you were to develop that uh, site uh, to produce electricity, it will be not only enough for the Congo, but enough to feed all of Africa, but even to export it to Western Europe. Third thing is that Congo has what they call arable land, which means the land which is good for agriculture, where everything can grow. We have 125 uh, million hectares in French. I think that in English, acres of land, that's about the double of that, about 250 million acres of arable land, good for agriculture, which means that we can produce as much food to feed almost the whole population of China, or the whole population of Africa. Fourth thing, we have the reserve of forest. Congo has uh, 135 million acres, uh, hectare uh, of uh, of forest. We are only second to Brazil. We have Mm -hmm. the highest number of reserve of forest in the world, which means that with all these potential, those natural resources that we have, if we were to leverage them to raise financing to finance development, it's a piece of cake. And remember, I was an investment and a commercial banker in New York, and I know how to raise money. 
but I am not even intending to, ra- to raise the $800 billion from borrowing. How are we going to get this money? Yeah. I want you to know today that the national budget of the Congo is $9 billion a year. $9 billion. But we know at the same time that uh, the panel of uh, uh, African experts, which was led by President Tambombeki, conducted a mission to the Congo back in 2013 and concluded at the end of that mission that 85% of na- uh, revenue from natural resources do not go into the national budget, but instead they go in private pocket. Corruption is endemic, which means that if we have to lead our fight very seriously to raise the money, the place to start is to fight corruption. And if we fight corruption, eliminate these 85% of revenue which are lost, we can increase the national budget of the Congo from $9 billion that we have today to about $72 billion a year. Of course, we are not going to achieve that in one year or two years. We have to go progressively. My plan, uh, consider that now we can lead this effort for the very first four years with a national budget of approximately $20, uh, uh, $20 billion, which will be about the double of what we have today. And we can raise that money by fighting corruption again. As a matter of fact, you know that President Kabila's special advisor on corruption to fight corruption, his name is Luzolo Bambi, the former minister of justice, Himself, he acknowledged that Congo loses every year $15 billion in terms of fiscal fraud. Mm. So if that those kind of numbers are out there, we just need to reorganize internal finances to make sure that this money, instead of going into private pocket, it goes into the national budget and Congo will be, uh, will be more than prepared to raise enough financing to fund some of the program and only the shortfall, which will be very minimal, we can raise it from the international community and also create good environment for private sector development. So, so some of the projects, such as uh, the construction of the Inga Dam, we don't have to take the money from the government national budget. We can create conditions to attract the foreign investors or private investors to put money into some of those big projects like that. So I am truly confident that $800 billion can be raised through a combination of nationally uh, or locally generated internal revenues by fighting corruption and only the remaining portion can be raised through, uh, of course, international aid and also through uh, private investment, which can come only if we create a good environment for private sector development in the country. Just to also reframe it, and thank you for um, pointing out where the finances will come, but just to reframe for our uh, listeners, I know I jumped in very quickly, uh, but it will be good to create a framework um, as we compare the Marshall Plan. You know, the Marshall Plan initially um, in Europe was a U.S.-led um, push to help European economies. Um, the value of it today is $130 billion that they invested in Europe to uh, rebuild European economies. So your plan is about six to seven uh, times bigger than the Marshall Plan itself. Um, do you, when you hear like critics of your plan, when they say that your model is a is too top-down approach, as opposed to coming from the people uh, from uh, bottom up, uh, what do you say from the, that critic? Well. Uh the critics just don't know the fact. Let me tell you how I end up designing this Marshall Plan. I started by going to the Congo and traveling inside the country and talking to the people 
of the Congo. Many people did not realize what I was doing, but I do have some pictures here that I might share with Patricia here in the studio, which show that you no, know, I was in my hometown of Ngatajika, and I come to realize that they did not have electricity, they did not have water, they did not have uh, food, they did not have road. And I went from Ngatajika to other provinces. I was in Kenge in Bandundu. I went to um, Kasangulu in uh, in uh, in Bakongo. I went to Kasumbalesa. So I went to many different communities in different provinces of the Congo. I come to conclude that the whole of the country of Democratic Republic of the Congo is in the same bad shape. No road, no electricity, no water. As you know, only about 10% of the population has access to decent water. 10%. About 10% of the population has access to electricity. So the condition that we have today in the Congo are about the same or even they are worse than Eastern Europe or Western Europe at the time of the Marshall Plan that was designed then. And remember, Congo has the size today of Western Europe. It's a huge, it's like a continent. It's called a country, but it's like many countries put together to make the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So the social fabric of the country has been destroyed by war, by uh, neglect by poor governance. Today, the country does not have institutions. The country is going through, it does not have institutions, it does not have infrastructure. And you find today people are eating once every two days, be not because they want to be on diet, but simply because they can't afford it. You find the people today, many kids don't go to school. And if you want to be, and even those who go to school, you should, you should see the quality of those schools. I believe that most of the schools out there uh, have to be rebuilt almost from scratch. You should see, for example, what is called a hospital in the Congo. Those are not hospitals of international standard. So we have almost everything to be done in every single um, sector of, uh, of, of the economy or of the society. In addition to that, you know, a Marshall Plan is not only aiming to address those economic uh, sectors. I will give an example. For a country... To uh, enjoy peace and stability, it must have an army. It must have good police, functioning police. Congo does have everything except that. The army has to be rebuilt from scratch. The police has to be retrained. People have to be hired, educated, to be brought up to the international standards so that they can be useful to the country. So I come to the conclusion that in every single sector uh, of the country, we have to do almost everything, the same thing which was done for European countries at the time of the Marshall Plan. Mm -hmm. As far as the numbers are concerned, let me clarify one thing. $130 billion for Europe then, it's not comparable to $800 billion today. Today you find a bank in New York can raise $800 billion very easily like this. So, oh, just, uh, just to clarify, the $130 billion is the value today. I know. At the time, it was $13 billion. So they calculated. Mm -hmm. But again, things have changed. My country needs everything to give you some proportion to build the Inga Dam, the Inga power plant that I'm talking about, the Grand Inga. The cost is estimated at $80 billion. Inga alone without counting the interest. If we include the interest, we are very close to $100 billion, just the power plant alone. So if we want to build the road highway, uh, high, uh, the road network, and I have my team prepared the network uh, of road for covering all the country, to cover this, it will cost approximately 
$240 billion to have road of equal quality is here in the United States, but covering the whole country. So I think that the cost estimate has been very realistic. And let's not forget one thing. This is my specialty. At the World Bank, I have been managing projects. I know how to appraise a project to calculate the cost. And I've spent enough time with my team going sector by sector to determine how much it will take to rebuild the country and bring it to international standard. You know, I am sick and tired of those cosmetic reforms that people go around and then do. And five, ten years later, the problem has not been solved. I want to solve the problem of my country once and for all. And for that, that's the cost. If we want to address the problem, we have to find this money to do it. My question for you is, um, you have the Marshall Plan and there's an important role that each Congolese has to play in building the Congo. And we talked about this briefly. How do you go about building a team to mm-hmm. make this Marshall Plan come to life? Because we do have a lot of Congolese intellects out there. How do you reach out to them so that they know that in this, there's a piece for you, there's a piece for you, and your ideas can be used in what I'm trying to do? Excellent. Uh, I would say that, no, I am one of the first to, to believe that no, for a development strategy to be successful... Uh, it must enjoy what I call uh, popular ownership. Mm-hmm. The program has to be owned by the people of the country, not imported from overseas, uh, no, uh, drafted by Korean or by the Chinese mm-hmm. uh, for the Congolese. Uh, but if it is drafted by the Congolese themselves and shared by among the Congolese citizens, it has a chance to succeed. What I've done so far is this. While this Marshall Plan started as a personal initiative, I tried very early in the process to get many of my fellow countrymen to be involved. In the Congo, I have had the chance to present the ve- early version of this plan to many people, including students, teachers, people from the private sector, civil society, and they had criticized this quite very heavily, contributing, uh, uh, suggesting some ideas, which mm-hmm. progressively I've been include, in, including in the plan. And you've uh, followed me maybe recently over the last uh, uh, a year and a half or so, I have been going to talk to the Congolese in different communities. I spoke to Congolese not only in Kinshasa, I spoke to Congolese in Bujimai, I was, as I said, in uh, Kasangulu and uh, Kenge in Banundu, but when I am overseas, I spoke to Congolese in Brussels, in Liège, in Toronto, Ottawa, here in the United States, I was in Raleigh, I was in Charlotte, I was in Atlanta, in Tampa Bay. Everywhere I go, I make the presentation of the plan. The Congolese, they not only... Uh, accept the idea, but they criticize it and they make suggestions how to improve it. And I have identified throughout this process many Congolese who are qualified, who can be used to implement the plan. And those, when I make the presentation, it's not just to impress them, I'm making the presentation to get them to buy into the plan and to make it their own. Once they make it their own, I believe that we will be acting as a group of people who are interested in the fate of their country and who can implement the ideas because the plan is acceptable to them and they know why we are trying to implement it. With what's going on in the country right now, when you look at uh, the president's Kabila, you know, we find that you can have a great idea, but there's never, there's not always that space for you to implement those ideas. So what is your goal and what is your plan to make sure that you can take what you have and actually put it into the Democratic Republic of Congo so that it can come to life? How do you how do you plan on tackling some of this corruption? Because some of these people who are in the government, they're already corrupt. So how do you filter through this to make sure that this plan that you have does come to life in the Congo? 
First of all, I believe that uh, we uh, have to know that the environment uh, in the country has to be improved for a plan, a development vision like this one mm-hmm. to have the chance to succeed. Uh, currently, things are not uh, what we want to see. I am hopeful that uh, the uh, elections which are planned this year are going to take place in November within the electoral, uh, within the constitutional timetable. And then from those elections, we are going to have a legitimate leadership uh, mm-hmm. which is going to lead the country and which can mobilize almost everybody to uh, implement this kind of vision. So that's my hope now. And provided this takes place and we have a legitimate government coming uh, out of the election uh, starting in December 2016, um, to get everybody to be involved in this, I again, I'm going to do what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. We will have to go throughout the country and I do hope that this plan can be even taught in schools so that the teachers, the students, the civil society, everyone, well, I don't say that it is perfect, but they can contribute and make it perfect. And once they make it perfect, it becomes a national agenda for everybody. We will then, they will understand why we are trying to implement it. And I just know that it is feasible. Uh, as far as fighting corruption, I know that People sometimes find themselves where they have to accept the briberies left and right as a way to survive. Mm. How do you expect a civil servant who is working for the full month, who is paid $50 a month, and he has maybe five, six children, he cannot live on $50 a month. One of the things which I consider is very, uh, will be very important will be for Congo to have what they call the rule of law. In this rule of law, we'll have to enforce the labor law. Labor law, for example, call for Minimum wage, which will be acceptable, this minimum wage will be uh, applied throughout the country and it will have to take into account the real standard of living in the country. For example, based on the information that I have today, I have to determine this minimum wage in the Congo to be at least $1,000 per month. If one can be paid $1,000 per month, he can pay his rent, he can support, buy the food for the kid, pay the medical bills, and he can save some money at the end of them. So I believe that no, that will be important. But once people are paid the correct uh, salary, decent mm-hmm. salary, they have to be also held accountable. If you make the mistake, you know what happened to you. You are going to lose your job. And people are going to be afraid of losing their job because they are going to take a bribery of $50 while he's being paid every month $1,000 in minimum salary. That will be one thing. But the second thing I intend also to, I suggest in the plan, to, cr- to put in place what I, I call Le Bureau de Lutte contre la Corruption, which is like the, the office to fight corruption, which will be equipped with a hotline. Everybody will, in the country will have to know this hotline. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody who is corrupt, who is taking money on the side to provide public services, you can report him. He's going to be taken before the justice, before the court. He's going to explain himself. And if the court finds that he's guilty, he's going to lose his job. So once you educate people this way... Uh, and start educating them not only at school, but mm-hmm. every day in, uh, on the job by also leading by example. Because corruption in the country, sometimes people see if I am the president of the country and if I take bribes, do you think that I'm going to tell anybody in that country not to take corruption? No. I think that we have to lead by example. And if one leads by example, people are going to follow. We want to remind our listeners who do have questions and want to participate in this conversation to call 410-481-1010. Kambale, you sounded like you had a question because uh, I'm looking at the doctor right now. He's very passionate and it's really uh, quite inspiring to see. Uh, what did you want to ask, Kambale? Uh, definitely, and I uh, pr- appreciate the input on the corruption. Uh, Singapore actually 
uh, use that to help the country rebuild. Um, so it's good to hear that that's also included. Uh, but I want to talk about the greatest economist of the Congo, uh, the one who have multiplied uh, $1 to hundreds of dollars, the Congolese women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Congolese women in the market, the Congolese women in uh, rural areas, they're the ones who have really kept the Congo alive. Um, I heard uh, many of the uh, ideas of the plan, but I didn't hear the emphasis of how we could use the economic system that the Congolese women have created, which has kept the country alive, into your plan. I've heard many, much more about loans to other places, um, being able to raise capital. But what, what about an African-centric way of raising the capital that the Congolese women for decades and centuries have done? How can that be also part of your plan? Yes, uh, my plan, uh, as I said, it has a different pillar. One of the pillars of the plan is to rebuild the finance of the local finance of the country. And I will explain why, what I mean by that. Currently, the banking system in the Congo is everything that we can imagine except being a real banking sector. We have about 20 commercial banks. All those banks are owned by foreigners. I have not seen any country developing uh, based on a financial system which is owned only by foreigners. And when you go even inside those banks, you find the kind of activities that they conduct, you realize that no, they are not there to finance the economy. They collect the money and you know, transfer this money overseas and do some short-term trade finance with very selected group of individuals. And very often you will find today a phenomenon which is very strange. Uh, I don't want to mention any country, but... You take a, 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 like a bank from Lebanon, uh, it is there in the Congo. It is there to serve who? not the Congolese, but the Lebanese con- community, which is in the Congo. And you find another bank which is owned by, for example, Nigerian. It is there to serve not the Congolese, but Nigerian community in the country. So if all the banks are owned by foreigners, who is left there to serve the Congolese? Not only women, uh, but also men. So there is a problem. There is an issue of vision for the country. I believe that we have to rethink the financial system the way it is structured and we have to restructure it in a way such that it can provide the basic services, financial services, not only to meet the need of the public sector, the private sector, the men and women. By the way, women are my heroes. I will tell you one thing that no, this country, uh, many people will be dead today if it was not because of the women. Exactly. You find those ladies struggling with their families to go very early in the morning to buy, for example, bread and go resell it somewhere so he can make just at the end of the day maybe a profit of $2 or $3 to buy enough food for his family. And tomorrow she's going back again to do the same thing every day and every day. And you find in the country, I'm sorry to find some of my uh, male uh, friends sitting all day waiting for the female to go and bring the food like that. It is not their fault because the job opportunities are, are not out there. So I truly believe that no, Congo, again, needs a Marshall Plan to transform this natural resource of the country into opportunities for all, not only men, but also for women. By the way, the Marshall Plan I- includes two of the components or the pillars, which I would like to mention here. One of the pillars is to build a road, um, uh, airport, port, electricity, and so on and so forth. So... Uh, that is uh, labor-intensive. It will create a lot of jobs. But another component, we don't have that much time now, but another component is accelerated industrialization, and I'm going to come back to this after. 
Um, to end the show, we have about 30 seconds. How can you, what, adv- what advice do you have for the Congolese government and the Congolese population to support the Marshall Plan? What is that one advice that you have in order to make this come to life? Well, my advice to the Congolese people is that they have to uh, uh, know more about this plan. Mm. And if they find that the ideas are acceptable and if they have contribution to improve it, I want them to make those contributions through uh, and what's some the of the website. Where can they? We have a website which is being uh, finalized now. It is going to be uh, no, uh, made public very soon. Okay, uh, we'll movement pour sure le changement, so the plan will be uh, available through this. But otherwise, for the time being, people can go on my Facebook page, okay. uh, Noel Kachani Mwajanvita, and uh, most of the information on the Marshall plans are there. And, and we'll uh, make sure we share it on our Congo Life page. And as soon as your website uh, website comes uh, forth, we'll make sure that we share it with all our followers. We want to thank you for joining us today on Congo Live. It's always a pleasure to have an individual like yourself who's well knowledge and has such a great knowledge to offer to us. And Kambale, thank you for joining us uh, via phone. It's always a pleasure. Thank and you. for our listeners, thank you for joining Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people. And we look forward to having you guys on the show with us, listening and participating participating next Saturday at two o'clock. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. And make sure you read that Marshall plan. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. All right, bye. <laughs>